hey Matt, did you ever start a business on your own? You know, we're doing a podcast called A Dictionary of Finance. You think I'd have lots of business ideas, but actually I don't. Did you ever start a business? Well, sort of. I think when I was about seven, I started my own newspaper called The Palm Tree. But that didn't really go anywhere. Why, because they don't have a lot of palm trees in Estonia? I'm not sure that that was the reason, but maybe maybe the reason was that, that I didn't really know anything about venture capital or elephants. Elephants? What's it got to do with elephants? Well, here's, here's Uli Grabenwarter, who's deputy director of equity investments in the European Investment Fund, which is part of the European Investment Bank Group. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. deals... I'm waiting for the elephants. He, hold on. He deals with venture capital. Uh-huh. Um, he heads investments in technology and innovation. And, and elephants. I, and I'm sure Palm Tree newspaper would have been innovation. Well, the elephants, you have to ask about him from him because you see this whole office is filled with photos and pictures of elephants. But why the elephants? You have elephants up on the wall here. You have, what, three? Elephants, that's, that's, a, that's a relatively funny story because I invented uh, my own elephant at the age of 13, uh, who, given my name, is called Oliphant. My, my oh, first name is, uh, is, is that in the kind of um, short version is Uli, and I created Oliphant in the Latin lessons. Ah. Because I was so bored about translating Hannibal crossing the Alps with the elephants that I decided I needed to do something more creative while we were translating that stuff. And I created the <laughs> elephant and uh, that got me really going on elephants. And I so somehow... And you stuck with them. So stuck you, with your, them. your elephant was an improvement on the original elephant? Or? It was not an improvement, but it was a kind of marketing line for a time. I had products, um, um, kind of um, sweaters, um, um, kind of caps and... Uh, pens and uh, socks, uh, even underwear. Let's start by, by stepping back and saying, what is venture capital? Well, venture capital um, basically is risk capital that is there to finance innovation. And now probably you will add up the next question, which is what is risk capital? And, and, and risk capital basically is um, a form of capital that steps in wherever a normal bank would not touch the counterpart because it's too risky. And so it's the kind of uh, money that uh, you need and that you get from venture capital investors in order to really fund disruptive things for society that uh, actually push forward innovation. Um, so it's not uh, not about um, um, uh, kind of launching the, the next bakery, but it's about... Um, funding new molecules in biotechnology that eventually lead to new medications and things like that, or um, new technologies like uh, today we use uh, Skype and, uh, and, and technologies like that, which all have in the beginning been funded by venture capital. And specifically Skype also being funded by the EIF as well, right? That's correct. We have been in uh, a fund that has been uh, one of the, of the founding funders of... Uh, but but the reason but the reason why uh, venture capital and and risk capital is not looking to fund the bakeries is not just um, you know not just because we want to improve the world but it's also a financial one right because the bakery the the chances of a bakery returning the money 
tenfold or you know a hundredfold are very slim, right? So we need that disruptive technology to increase the chances that 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 the that the money will really pay off well. Yeah, I would I wouldn't put it because of the return multiple. It's just it's a different risk profile. On a bakery, um, if you've got um, some commitment of somebody who is trained to do that, you would have probably people around that are very easily buy into the risk of setting up a bakery because you've got probably uh, 50 families living around that bakery that can be the natural clients and you could anticipate that this is going to work out if the croissants that this guy is going to produce or this lady is going to produce is up to a certain quality. And when we talk about venture capital, um, we talk about disruptive things where you actually cannot predict the outcome. One of the f um, aspects of venture capital and risk capital therefore is basically that you go into it with the expectation that out of out of 10 investments that you make maybe you know seven don't pan out right you you so you expect that you know a lot of them will will be wasted that that's something that you need to have an, as, as an assumption as a theoretical possibility. And actually, I'm, I'm investing myself um, also on the private side into venture capital because I don't make a, a real differentiation between what I do privately and what I do professionally. And I invest in life sciences uh, investments, uh, drug development. And there, uh, to a certain degree, you're up against statistical risks because mm -hmm. um, you know that from 100 molecules that go into clinical trial, maybe one or two make it to the market. Uh, the one uh, or two that actually make it to the market are those that are going to compensate you for the risk that you're taking, yes. But do you, when you make those investments privately for yourself, do you go and find the company and say, I'm a venture capitalist, I'd like to invest in you? Or do you go to a venture capital fund? How does someone become a venture capital investor? Well, actually, I started off uh, very small. I've got, uh, I've got the privilege of having a friend um, who is a scientist um, and who used to be in scientific advisory boards of uh, a couple of uh, U.S.-based funds. And um, um, he got access to deal allocation for friends and family of those advisory boards um, and um, passed on some of those tickets to me at, uh, at that time, which were very tiny investments, uh, basically a couple of thousand euros at a time. And that's how I started off with. Uh, and uh, and um, thanks to the, the insights of, um, uh, of my friend, uh, we made that a little bit more and could do bigger tickets. And we had a, a very big um, um, success in uh, 2000. Uh, well, we invested in 2003 and it turned out in 2007 that it was a, a huge success. And uh, now I'm basically in the privilege that I don't have to look for the deals anymore, but the deals come to look for me. Mm -hmm. So you're now, you're, you're an angel investor, one of those people that the EIF also invests together with. Yes, although I do all my investment activity for obvious reasons outside Europe, because in Europe I would be probably conflicted on every single transaction yeah. that I would touch given the size of the portfolio that EIF is well, running. Where is most of the venture capital investment? You mentioned there that this was, these were in the U.S., where is most of where is it easiest to raise venture capital funding if you're a a company? It's probably still true to say that uh, the easiest is in the U.S. because the mentality, entrepreneurial mentality in the investment community is probably the the, the most prominent one in the U.S. But um, we have to say that also Europe has caught up quite a bit over the last uh, decade and a half, and uh, 
um, has closed to some extent the gap. Uh, I think in terms of technology and um, sophistication of the research and uh, and uh, intellectual property that we were producing in Europe, I think we have um, always had a very um, good stance in, in Europe and in many, many dimensions, probably even a better one than, than the U.S. What was missing for a long time in the European context was um, a kind of availability of this entrepreneurial spirit, both at the side of entrepreneurs, but also at the side of investors. Um, in Europe, we had for a very long time uh, the the attitude of investors of um, investing in venture capital by looking for protection against downside risk, losing the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but venture doesn't function that way. Venture function, functions because of the asymmetry of the risk and the return that you see. Because mm-hmm. if you invest in a company, the maximum you can lose is 100%, which is painful enough, but that's the maximum you can use, okay, that you can lose. The, 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 the reason why you invest in venture is that you can gain a multiple of the 100% that you mm-hmm. put in, mm-hmm. that not only give you a fair return on the risk that you were taking to the specific deal, but also on all the other deals that you've made that have turned out to be less successful. Mm. So now, this, is, this is what people would call a high-growth company. It's a... I call, I call them actually... I don't. I don't reason in terms of growth when I, when I look at any business. I reason in terms of disruption, uh, mm. and we are living in a period of time where disruption is actually key to the sustainability of our society. We know that we are facing challenges uh, all over the place that we cannot tackle with uh, the type of approaches that we've taken in the past, and uh, for that simple reason, uh, we need to innovate in order to actually overcome the constraints towards sustainable, uh, sustainable development that we are facing, um, be it on the side of resources, be it on the side of uh, impact that we have got on our environment, be it on the side of um, demographic challenges that we are facing. We cannot pretend that we can just do the same thing um, that we've been doing with a planet of 4 billion people and do the same thing with 10 billion people and see no difference. So the difference is innovation. With the EIF, or one of the funds that we invest in, uh, is looking for really these disruptive ideas that make you know the whole world a better place or a more efficient place, and we invest in these companies. And these companies, they you know they they turn around and they say, okay, so this idea didn't pan out, but let's use this money instead to, you know, to to do a really nice bakery. How do we how do we um, protect ourselves against that, or is that is that fine for us as long as they bring in the in the financial return? No, I think when we, when we select uh, um, in, in, to invest in fund managers, uh, that's basically the, 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 the business model you're referring to, uh, we invest in invest investment strategies. That is something that is defined. Even though we do not know um, what exact companies uh, the money is going to be deployed in, mm-hmm. we're investing in investment strategies to target a specific field. If I invest in a, in a fund that does life sciences investment, I am fairly certain that I will not end up in a bakery, mm-hmm. but I will end up in something that will look after, if it's a drug development fund, it would look at uh, new drugs and new molecules that uh, are supposed to cure certain diseases. Or uh, if we invest in a medtech fund, uh, they would invest in devices that help uh, the delivery of medications uh, uh, in a more targeted way within the body. Um, or if we invest in a in a digital economy um, uh, transaction uh, or fund, then we would look at transactions that uh, are uh, looking at um, internet businesses and things like that. So 
it's that you have got a certain degree of influence in selecting the fund managers and their investment strategy that they're putting forward. And that typically is something that is brought together in, in the contractual framework that, uh, that you are mm-hmm. uh, signing up to uh, when, when you make an investment. And that gives the boundaries of what, you, what you're looking at. And also, when I think, when I imagine a venture capitalist, I, m- I imagine this this seasoned entrepreneur who's who's had success in the past with his own business, and who then puts a little bit of money into this young startup, and also in addition to the money, he makes some wise observations and gives some good advice, and that the startup will then benefit from. Do we also do that? So we, or do we just, you know, we just put in the money, or do we also offer them any advice? Actually, if you look at it at the the, the end of the food chain, an entrepreneur typically does not do his or her business because of money. An entrepreneur is somebody that wants to change the world, and uh, if he, if he or she is successful in it, she will do it again. And that is uh, that is basically in their DNA. And when they look for venture capitalists um, that give them uh, money to do their ideas, to bring to, to, to life their ideas, they're looking for um, uh, people that actually can also give them guidance in avoiding the pitfalls in, on, on, on their journey. Um, and there are many of them. And um, the more you can actually get uh, people around you that help you um, uh, avoiding those risk elements uh, that you're confronted with and then bring a business from a startup to um, uh, to the uh, to, to a kind of global category player of, uh, or a unicorn of, um, of uh, size of uh, Uber or, 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 or Spotify or, or, or Skype and the like. That's something which um, which is a difficult journey where you need a lot of help along the road yet. This is a dictionary of finance, the podcast. So I want to get a couple of terms here and ask you to to tell us what they mean and where they fit into the, let's say, the life cycle of a venture capital uh, company. Seed funding, mezzanine financing, and exit. Okay. Seed funding is basically the first capital that goes into uh, a company. Um, So if you have got a business idea and you've got no money at all, uh, typically, um, you go to um, people, venture capitalists, that are ready to make it basically a bet on you. And uh, they tell you, you know, you've got, uh, I don't know, um, 50,000 euros. You prove me that your business model is worth something. And um, then you go off and, um, and with that capital, prototype your um, business model or you, you kind of create a... If you do an internet business, you create some market evidence that there's traction in your business model, that somebody actually is using what you're putting uh, into the web. And uh, based on that, then venture capital then will judge whether this has actually the potential of reaching scale. And that will give you uh, different uh, different uh, options of getting getting funded. So that's the seed funding. Whereabouts in the in the life cycle is is the mezzanine financing, which is a fantastic word. I love it. Yeah, the mezzanine the mezzanine uh, capital comes actually at a fairly late stage in uh, the development process of a company. It is basically at the um, point in time where um, a um, a company is um, either already bankable to some extent, or at least at the edge of becoming bankable. Mezzanine can help. Uh, providing funding 
uh, to a company without diluting too much the ownership. So um, um, if, for instance, in the drug development, you've got very capital clinical trial phases that uh, you need to get funded. And if you would fund that all through equity and try to allocate equity shares in return for that, then you might very well end up in a situation where the founding team of that company has very little ownership at the end uh, because they don't put up the money. So, so mezzanine, and technically, it's it's equity that can be converted into debt or, mezzanine, or vice versa? Mezzanine is something which um, is, uh, is, is, is a type of debt product, uh, but... Um, has actually a risk profile which is uh, stronger than uh, what bank debt uh, that would typically be. So it's in between the two. Um, sometimes it has equity features attached to it so that uh, when the mezzanine loan gets repaid that there is also kind of equity kicker, as we call it, which gives a kind of participation in the in the equity return of, uh, of the underlying company. But it uh, comes from a venture capitalist. It, uh, it's before the company can, is, is able to get bank financing still, it it, it, ca- it comes from um, either from venture cap but uh, there are also mezzanine funds out there that are specialized in that uh, it sometimes comes from um, more uh, mid-market buyout type uh, of um, private equity funds and sometimes even banks uh, even banks provide mezzanine capital as a kind of uh, diversified product from their uh, from their product range so then the other term was exit what's what, where do you where do you get out as a venture capitalist? Well, as a venture capitalist, um, there are various ways of getting out to it. Uh, the most um, prominent ones are possibly um, the listing on a stock exchange, which we call an IPO, initial public offering. Um, or uh, you do it through a sale of the company, typically to strategic trade sale buyers. Um, and uh, those are the two most prominent exit routes. There's a third one, which is... Um, uh, the sale back to the founding uh, entrepreneur, um, which um, I think if it, it, it may work out in very small-scale businesses, but actually if a business grows to a multi-billion-dollar uh, company, you will imagine that it's difficult for an entrepreneur to buy the venture capitalist back out. Mm-hmm. All invest- investments are, are prone sometimes to bubbles, and the, I suppose there's a fa- fairly famous one associated with venture capital, which was the Internet bubble of the, the late 90s. Um, how did that happen? Uh, and why, why did so many companies seem to rise in value and get so much investment so quickly? And how did it end? Um, the reason why it happened is, is very trivial because it's like financial markets in general. If there is oversupply of money, money seeks different channels of being deployed. And if all the reasonable ways of deploying money are exhausted, then unreasonable ways of deploying money kick in. And uh, that's exactly what happened in the turn of the century. Um, just uh, in the run-up of uh, 99, 2000, we had um, so much money in the market um, that uh, people were actually uh, not screening investment opportunities at all anymore. It was almost um, enough to write uh, a, a dot-com name on a glossy front page of, a, of an investment memorandum and you could get funded, um, and sometimes funded with, with very sizable finance, financing rounds. Um, not very difficult to predict what happened uh, as an outcome of it. At a certain point in time, somebody realized that uh, what they had in their portfolio was not really worth anything and um, started to basically sell off. And that actually gave the 
um, gave the incentive of others to do the same thing. It's like um, having this musical chair game. Uh, when somebody tries to step up, everybody wants to secure a chair too and uh, not be the last one standing. Um, and that's what happened at the market and actually just um, spiraled downwards uh, and uh, the market collapsed. Do you think uh, venture capitalists learned a lesson there? Or could that happen again? Uh, that definitely can happen again. And I would even say that it most certainly will happen again because I don't believe in, um, uh, I don't believe very much in, in, in financial markets intelligence. So now we know all about elephants but, and venture capital as well. Yes. So thank you for joining us for another episode of A Dictionary of Finance. Please join us again next week when we tackle further terms and concepts used in finance and in banking uh, that you might not heard of, might not have heard about before. And you can uh, get in touch with us on Twitter and say, hey, at EIB Matt, M-A-T-T, you should be going into this particular term, whatever it is. As long as it's short enough to fit in a tweet, it's short enough for us to do a, an entire podcast on it at EIB Matt or... Or at Alar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. Also, please do subscribe to our podcast and rate us if you're going to rate us positively. And see you again next week.